Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a live presentation of the Commercial Appeal. Obviously, coming off uh, of game two, uh, it really plays with the way our guys came out and performed. You know, coming off the bye week, uh, you know, a lot of questions uh, in, in, in our from from our aspect of it. Just uh, you know, how, how the guys would would uh, approach that week, and, and really wanted to see a lot of improvement from week one to week two. And uh, you know, I thought we were able to see that. Uh, you know, we were able to improve in a lot of different areas. I thought the defense came out and had a, a dominant uh, performance. The thing that I was most pleased with was uh, we were 100% ball security on offense, and uh, we were able to force six takeaways. And when you're able, when you're able to do that throughout a game, and you put yourself in a great position to be successful, uh, you know, really pleased with our guys and their their attitude, their approach. Um, you know, we came back out to practice uh, you know, last night, and uh, you know, our our guys know that we have to continue to improve. And so we're excited about the week coming up. You know, we got one, another another opponent coming into the Liberty Bowl. So we're looking forward to having a, a, a great crowd, a lot of energy, and another night kick. Uh, it's going to be a, a tremendous atmosphere, and uh, you know, we're just looking to, to take the next step as a team. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Tom Shad, Jeff Calkins, and Phil Stukenborg. What's up, y'all? Welcome back. Tiger Football Podcast is 2-0. Great job last week, y'all. Actually, y'all were... We weren't here. You weren't here. <laughs> no. Jeff was... I had a bye. You had a buy, yeah. You were dropping. I, isn't it funny the terms? Hundred percent ball security on offense. Like that's just we didn't turn the ball. Like hundred percent ball security on offense. This is funny. Six coaches takeaways. talk like coaches talk, right? Coach speak. It's a. It was good though. Language. If you can turn them over, like, I'm not. I'm no. You know, I'm no John Madden. But if you can turn them over six times and you don't turn it over yourself, I like your chances. That's though. Okay, Phil. Particularly if you're playing Kansas. <laughs> okay, we'll open with this. First time that they've had. Six turnovers in a game, or created six turnovers in a game since 2011 versus Marshall. And I saw that, and I looked up the game, and they lost to Marshall. Right. They were plus six. Those were difficult times. At Tom. home, how did I, like? I I'm not trying to like call you out on a specific game from however many years ago. Do you remember what happened in that game? I I don't. I just remember who was coaching. <laughs> it was a tough time. Those were difficult uh, those times. Those were difficult just, times. All we don't around. want to relive those times, Tom. I mean, that's just that's almost like hard, like statistically. A lot, of, a lot of things happen that you can't home. quite get your mind around happened back then, Tom. Yeah, I, I think I probably just forgot it as well as most people did. Um, I, that's, I mean, yeah. I was just like, take, I was like, they had to have won that game. I thought that was one of the three, it was like, what, three wins during the Larry Porter era. Yeah. I thought that had to be one of them. But anyways, on a happier note, uh, if you're a Memphis fan, 43-7 win over Kansas. Um, Jeff and I were there. Thought it was, I mean, the initial takeaway was just Kansas is bad. Mm-hmm. But I think against a bad opponent, I mean, Memphis did a lot of things that you want to do. Be- beyond the turnovers, we saw an improved run game. Offensive line was a little bit better. Um, Riley Ferguson took care of the ball. Um, just general development on offense, and then the defense obviously doing a lot of good things as well. Yeah, offensively, I thought uh, noticeable Riley Ferguson, like several times. Um 
clearly tossing in a way. I mean, you just couldn't. It was very clear. Now, he didn't get great protection. Like, that's a continuing issue. Um, but he made very different choices. And I thought that was uh, very positive. And then um, you saw on the two touchdown throws what I've said all along, which is that the good of Riley Ferguson is really top shelf. And so both on the deep ball, which he placed exactly in the right place, and then on the fade to to Mayhew was just a perfect throw. Nice catch too, by the way. But um, I thought there you saw that, you know, when he's good, Riley Ferguson can be really good. And then, yeah, the running game was important to get that going. That's one that'll be interesting to see. I'm still a little skeptical. You know, will they be able to run the ball against Houston and and Temple? Temple. You know, would that like that, that will be interesting? Will they? You know, because I think their offensive line is a continuing question. Um, but yeah, you saw you saw what you wanted to see there, and then the defense was was really good, and um, and. Uh, and the takeaways were a part of that. And I really do think it's striking. We've talked about it before, but afterwards, the amount of praise that is heaped on this defensive staff is staggering. You don't, all you just have to ask is like, why is the defense so good this year? And they just start talking about the coaching staff. Uh, they, all of them, pretty much. They just literally start talking about the coaching staff. We believe in them. They put us in the right place. It's so much better, so much different. Like it's, and um, it has just emerged as a clear theme. I think the the, the pieces are better, but the the pieces really do feel a level of confidence that they did not last year. And it's funny, Ernest Suttles, I mean, I just came straight here from practice, and Ernest Suttles, after practice, said basically the same general question. It's all iterations of the same question, like why is the defense better? And he immediately said, coaching staff, they're teachers. And that's what a, a lot of guys say, they're teachers. They're teaching us the scheme better, we're more comfortable in the scheme, we're more confident in the scheme. So. That is striking, I guess. That you know, and obviously nobody's trying to take shots at the outgoing. They're really not. Staff. They're more praising the current staff. Right. They're, they're not it, sort of by implication. It's just unavoidable. But they really are talking about how much they love the staff. Is really what they're saying. Right. Tom, Tom, and I were talking about this yesterday. Is that as you watch the defense, you notice that it it, it doesn't seem like they're out of place. I think, except for the we were saying the one mm-hmm. long touchdown run. Um, also, when you go back to Wilson's interception return for the touchdown, you see Jannard Avery putting pressure on the quarterback, which directly led to that that pick and that hurried up throw. So uh, just a, a, another byproduct of how well he they're, forced they're the playing. first fumble too. Jannard Avery did. Like yeah. he's he's a terror. He's been mm-hmm. a terror. Lined up all over the place, Sh- showing up where maybe he didn't last year yeah. as much. No, he yeah. is like yeah. clearly right now of anyone on defense. He is the most obvious impact on the game. And a, and a couple that like I, we just talked to him after practice today as well. And one interesting thing that he said, I was asking him about the timing because that's one thing that stood out to me in the game is that. You know, he he has the strength, he has the speed around the edge, but the timing, he was going like right in front, like in between the center and the guard, yep. the A-gap, and he was just timing those, and that was, I think, the, the fumble, like it was a low snap for Cozart, but he was right on top of it immediately, and he said that he's been watching film and studying the mannerisms of the center and the quarterback and and to get a better feel for when they're going to snap the ball. Do you get the sense, by the way, that he's happy here? Like, he obviously is the one, he was the right. one, Jamarius Henderson was was one who you thought you might lose and then ultimately did lose. And Jannard Avery, I don't know if he really wanted to be here, if they basically said, we're not going to release you to go to Ole Miss or like whatever, what the circumstances were by which they kept him. 
but he's clearly having a huge impact. If that's how you measure happiness, he's got to be happy. Did he seem like what's his manner been like? Yeah, yeah, no, he seems happy. It's it's. I still haven't gotten a great feel of what happened in that. I think it was like February or something. It was right before signing day. I right. still haven't gotten a great feel about what was the the comments about wanting to transfer and all that. So I I don't know. I mean, he seemed perfectly happy, and I think that kind of how the defensive staff is using him helps because you know they're giving him an opportunity basically on third downs to just rush the passer and they're putting him all over the place and putting him in good spots to get sacks to get forced fumbles to kind of build up his stats and I think he's a guy you know even last year when I first got here that I looked at and said he's got a chance to play in the league and I think that that's kind of his mindset probably as well and so you know to be able to kind of rack up some of these stats and really make a a huge defensive impact in a lot of these games like we saw on Saturday um, you know, I think that that helps him, and and I think he's he's been happy with that. But yeah, the one run play. So I was going to mention you, you mentioned the the one time they were misaligned, right? So they had the sixty one yard touchdown run or something that they gave up. The coaching staff has said that they didn't see that play on film once, and they basically said the coaches have said that's on us. Hmm. So even that, you know, in terms of defense, it was it was basically like when you're evaluating defense, man, they were great except for that one big play. The coaching staff is kind of absolving them of that because they had basically they were kind of slanted to the right side, I guess, or the near side of the press box, and they ran it away from that, and they were just everybody was out of position. So for them to just absolve um, hmm. of that. So, anyways, how did Chris Ball, by the way, um, do we know? Because he was co-defensive coordinator at Arizona State, right? Yeah. And our understanding is is that he took a pay cut to come here. He did. Do we know why Chris Ball took this job? I don't. I haven't asked him. I mean, I think obviously there are uh, attractive qualities about Norvell. And I think, well, I think the job. I do. I I do think it's a sense, by the way, that a lot of people who came here literally came here because they believe in Mike Norvell. Yeah. Didn't you get the sense with the staff that there's a lot of that? A lot of people just, I mean, they'd gotten to know him and they said, this guy's going to go places. We're going to go be with him. Jeff, this is the same thing you heard when Justin came here. The, the people that joined the staff joined believed, it, in Justin. believed in Justin, and and you know I've told the story many times about Ricky Hundley, the defensive line coach, saying this guy is gonna be. He called him the next Steve Spurrier at the time, right. just someone that was going to be successful, right? And they, so they, you latch coaches, onto him, and yeah, you these say, coaches see right. that. You know. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing though that Chris Ball said, I mean, he said on uh, Norvell's radio show last week that he's just really happy in Memphis, and so I don't know if there were things off, off the field that like. He just saw Memphis as a place that he could he could live, and he, and he said, you know, pretty openly, like this is a place where I want to be for a while. Like I think Chris Ball's moved, oh, what did he say? Moved like nine times in the past twenty years or something. So he's just been moving all right. over the place, and maybe that played a role in it as well. But I haven't asked him specifically. I did think that was interesting. Of I think he was the only assistant. We got this the salaries for assistant coaches two weeks ago or something. I think he was the only one that took a a pay cut. A, a lot of them got sizable bumps up in pay. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's certainly been a success story so far. Unanimous praise, yeah. pretty, pretty much from players. Um, the the one big kind of storyline going into the game was the run game, um, the offensive line. We had kind of said, okay, maybe the first game was just an aberration. Do you guys have lingering concerns? I guess about the run game, about the offensive line. I mean, I thought pass protection was almost the bigger issue against Kansas than than run blocking. But do you still have lingering concerns there? I don't. I mean, I'm starting to see. Um, I mean, I keep going back to Patrick Taylor and 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 enjoy watching him run. Um, his ability, I, I think, to make a, a jump cut 
Okay. That was what that that cut that, that cut that he made oh, at mm-hmm. that size. To me, there were two impressive things yes. about the running game. Dorland Dorsius's run at the, in the end zone right. at the, that was, was was like a, was beast mode stuff, yes, right? But the cut that Patrick mm-hmm. Taylor made was unbelievable, and he does it effortlessly, and you yeah. can see the footwork, and you just go, "This is gonna, this guy's going to continue to evolve and become someone that." Uh, that will lead this run game down the road. Uh, of course, along with Tony Pollard, who looked really good late too. I, I, he just has some things about him that make you think he will be a huge contributor down the road. Yeah, P- Patrick Taylor. So I've I can't remember if I said on the podcast or not, but I I really think he's like a little bit smaller version of Jarvis Cooper in terms of weight wise, but his feet are just immensely mm-hmm. better. And that's right. the one thing. Like when he first got here, somebody told me he said just watch Patrick Taylor's feet. And that's a huge, I mean, especially like you mentioned, the jump cut and kind of when he's going through some of those creases makes a huge difference. So it'll be interesting kind of carry-wise. You know, Sam Craft practiced today. Um, Norvell said yesterday that he probably could have played against Kansas. And so it'll be interesting. You bring him back. Daryl Henderson came down with a, a illness of some kind midway through the game, so he wasn't available in the second half. You presumably get him back. You still have Tony Pollard. You still have Patrick Taylor. I mean, suddenly you've got... Dor- Dorland Dorses. Suddenly, we've got a, a lot of cooks in the kitchen per se. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they how they divvy up uh, divvy up carries, and you know, do they give a guy like Patrick Taylor, who has led the team in rushing the past two games, the majority of the carries, or do they continue to ride with kind of the the, the horses, I guess, with the Dorland Dorseses and and Daryl Hendersons. Yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of injuries and people coming back, uh, you get a lot of questions about Jackson Dillon. Oh, do I? Um, <laughs> what, what do you tell people about Jackson Dillon? I mean, the the Jackson Dillon story hasn't really changed since fall camp. You know, he we we talked to them before the season. He had two off season procedures on his knee, um, and there weren't supposed to be two. He was supposed to have one off season procedure on yes. his knee. It did not go well, and so then he had another to fix that one. That one was not so far before fall camp began. Right? Was this July fourth? When was? I believe the, he said July. Yeah. Was that one that was in July? He had the second procedure in July, and then since then he just hasn't fully healed. Is that our understanding? I, I think he's fully healed. I think it's just kind of a touch and go as he's working his way back because he did practice in, in fall. He was getting some second-team reps, and there were days where he would go and do an entire day's practice and, and be fine. Um, but I think it's just one of those things. I mean, when you have a serious, presumably serious injury like that, you know, it takes a little bit of time, and sometimes, you know, you can uh, you're getting a feel for yourself as much as anything. So he did not practice today from what I could tell, or if he did, it was it was very limited. So... I think he's a guy that you're just going to have to continue to see, you know, what he can do in practice and kind of go from there in the game. It's uh, too bad because, in some level, at some level, they don't miss him. Uh, you know, the, the they're getting really splendid linebacker play, and I don't know that they miss him unless you start remembering back, Phil, to what he was when he oh, was yeah. at his best. They would miss that. Like if you had that Jackson Dillon, that was an impact player who was single handedly destroying yeah. offenses. Go back to and, the Miami Beach. Yeah, Bowl. they yeah. miss that. Yeah, uh, they don't miss a gimpy Jackson Dillon, but they certainly miss that. And I would, it'll be too bad if we don't see that again. You just wonder if he if he showed up more under uh, the previous defensive coordinators, you know, scheme than where he would fit now. I don't know where would he fit now if he's a hundred percent healthy and ready to play this weekend. Well, I think you know Demarco Montgomery basically at the tail end of last year kind of surpassed him on the depth chart and was was taking the majority of of uh reps at that at that kind of hybrid outside linebacker uh, defensive end spot and so I think it's still DeMarco Montgomery's kind of job to lose in terms of first team and the, and the one thing I sh- I almost put this in the morning after but 
DeMarco Montgomery might be, and we don't talk about him a lot, Juco guy joined the program last year, might be the toughest dude on that defense. Uh, he played, I've been told he played hurt for the majority of last year, gets dinged up in practice all the time. He got dinged up, what made me think of it was like the first quarter, somebody rolls onto his ankle or something, and they're going to sub him out, and he just waves him on and keeps playing, and you don't notice like a, a, a drop-off really with that. So I think the staff really values his his toughness and his mm-hmm. leadership. And so I think even if Jackson Dillon was... 100% healthy, he would have to come and kind of reclaim that that starting spot. And obviously they rotate a lot. So, you know, you would see both of them if they were healthy. But I think DeMarco Montgomery is probably still going to be the first guy out there until Jackson Dillon proves differently. So, um, obviously next we're heading into Bowling Green. Um, do you think this is going to be similar to the game that we saw last year? Last year was probably, I don't know, I mean, Jeff and I were there, probably the most entertaining game, I guess, of the season, 44-41 comes down to basically Arthur Mollette, who'd been burned for much of the game, coming up with a big play there at you know the fourth quarter to seal it. Do you expect a similar kind of fast-paced shootout-type deal, or do you think it's going to be a little bit different with, with this Bowling Green team having a new quarterback, new coach? You, you hope. I mean, that that, that obviously they still, they still snap it quickly, still mm-hmm. very fast-paced, but yep. will it be as effective? I will be surprised. I mean, they were – they had big-time receivers. They had a big-time quarterback. They and and the Memphis defense was woefully unprepared, um, either because people were new or because they whatever. So um, I will be stunned if 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 Bowling Green lights up Memphis the way they they lit them up last year. And um, so no, I I would think I would hope and imagine that it would look the final score would look more like the MTSU Bowling Green game. You know that Memphis, yeah, they put up their twenty or something. I don't expect Memphis to get. Just because they snap the ball enough, they're going to be flinging it around. I think Bowling Green will score, but hopefully it'll be a comfortable Memphis victory as opposed to the nail-biter, thrilling nail-biter that was last year's. Yeah, just you know, it just seems like uh, there's so much new there, and you've written about this so far with uh, with Bowling Green. Um, yeah, I don't I don't see it being a whole lot different than than maybe what you saw last weekend. <laughs> Yeah, the one the one thing about Bowling Green, so they have a new quarterback, but he did start for them. So the guy that they had last year, Matt Johnson, um, had been hurt the previous year. It's a guy, I forget his name, I'm afraid that I mispronounce it, Napke or, or something to that effect. He started, I guess that was two years ago. So the guy that they're bringing in is not like he, he's never played quarterback before at this level. Um, so they're, they're comfortable there and then um, obviously still going to try to push the pace. So I think there will be some similar things, but I think it'll be a little bit more Lopsided, yeah, and that kind of the, the last thing I wanted to ask. I think I wrote about this in the morning after on Sunday. It's really interesting to me that we are now three weeks into the season, and Memphis has played two opponents that it very clearly should have beaten, beat them handily. You could make an argument that they're, I think they're seventeen point favorites or something over Bowling Green. So we could get four weeks through the season and not know kind of what the true capabilities of this team are. So what do you guys? I mean, just from practice from the first two games what do we know about this team after two games like what what can you safely say is there anything that you can pinpoint and say i've seen enough i I know this by the way i have no problems with the sort of the fact that we that that the season is unfolding this way for a couple reasons one is once upon a time um they've played teams that we knew they should beat and they did beat once upon a time we didn't know they should beat these teams they'd play crappy teams we didn't know they should beat them and they'd lose to them like you know um UT Martin is an example or getting smashed by Arkansas State and getting, you know, so so even just to have the level of normalcy that comes with 
these are teams we're supposed to beat and we're doing it is sort of, again, it goes back to it wasn't always thus. So I appreciate that. Secondly, I think it's nice to build up some momentum, particularly with the first staff, with a, with a new staff to both momentum in the fan base, some belief in the team itself that, that, that we can, that, that whatever they do is going to work and has success. So I don't mind that at all. The fact that we're going to have presumably, let's hope that they're three and O without any real sense of what they are. That seems to me to be okay. Cause then you have the tests yet to come. I got no problem with that. Um, in terms of what they are, I think they're exactly what they are when I, when I started, when we started before. I think the defense is like, I'm, I'm, I'm heartened because I've seen on the field what I hope to see. So that's good. Uh, I'm heartened about um, Riley Ferguson because I, I really didn't know what to expect. But I've seen enough really good things from him to think that um, that he can continue to grow and develop and be the quarterback over the next two years. And then I'm a little less, you know, I think the the the. I expected to see just overall more explosiveness and consistency from the offense than I have seen. Um, and that goes back to largely offensive line troubles, but just execution issues and everything else. And so to me, I said going in that I think they're a seven win team. I still think they're probably a seven win team. I, I might even say a six win team, six or seven win team, which is what I thought they were going in. I, I'm more faith in the defense and the quarterback necessarily than I would have had going in and a little bit less faith in just sort of, you know, Mike Novella always talks about how he says it's going to come, it's going to come, the offense is going to come. We haven't seen it so far. It has not been an explosive offensive juggernaut. And um, so we're awaiting to see that a little bit. I think that's what we know. And we know the special teams are pretty good, even though Jake missed a kick this past, we, you know, this past uh, week. I came back and banged in a 50, 51 from 50. Punting's been good. Like, we know the special teams are good. I think they're a seven-win team. Phil? I think it's been great for this staff to have this kind of schedule, as you said, to see this defense develop as it has and watch it kind of gain some confidence. I think that's been good. Uh, also been good for Riley Ferguson to go through this and, and kind of learn what he needs to learn. And I almost take away something that I think Anthony Miller said uh, after the game, or maybe it was after practice, just that when he said they didn't play good and yet I think put together a game and win 43 to 7. You believe him? I mean when he says that or is he just talking? I think he was I think he was telling the truth that there were some things that that weren't clicking maybe offensively that uh he felt that they could have done better. So I, if that's the case and yeah this has been a good start, good schedule for them. Yeah, so he called he said we played mediocre on Saturday, which I thought was interesting given kind of the, the lopsided but knowing his personality i mean is that something that's yeah, is he telling the truth i yeah. think yeah and i think that that's kind of the general sense you know norvell has talked about it that it's the offense is going to come along i think there is a general sense that just in terms of you know learning i've been told that learning defensive schemes is a little bit it just comes a little bit quicker just because it's not quite as complex as what you're trying to do on on offense and so you know that's, I think it was like early in camp, you know, I said, man, the defense, you know, is way ahead of the offense. And somebody said, well, that's how it should be. You know, like you would be worried if the offense was ahead of the defense, which is kind of what it was last year, you know, in, in all honesty, like the offense looked a lot better in, in fall camp than, than the defense did. So I think we'll see improvement on offense, but I think you're right that we're still waiting to see. There's There's been some glimpses of, of the explosiveness, you know, the Anthony Miller play. There've been a couple to Roderick Proctor that have just been beyond his reach and you hit one of those then right. maybe you have a little bit better sense of who wants to be that defensive back that that uh, Anthony Miller twisted into a, a pretzel there on from the forty five yard line on bamboozled 
That was right. my. Ambition I was, was so it. excited to work that word into a game <laughs> yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, by the way, did either of you have any thoughts on the crowd? Um, we we talked a little bit about it in the in the press box. It was just just south of thirty five thousand. And again, that's one where I I heard some complaints about it. Um, that pe- various people were disappointed. Um, I don't know. Like I still maybe it's because I'm remembering the days of seventeen and thirteen and whatever else. I think thirty five is perfectly respectable. I did. I had no complaints about it at all. My guess is that people are, are are watching. I mean, I saw the game on TV. I was out of town, and it did look not sparse, but it was scattered, and so it it wasn't a good look. You're watching games on on uh, well, the damn, college football. The stadium's center. too big for it's them. Probably I mean, too it's thirty five thousand. Means it's half empty. Plus, That's, my understanding, people, various people have written me and said, "Can they do something about the camera angles? Because the camera is this true that the camera angles shows the visiting team side? It's true." It's well. Why the hell do they show the visiting team side? Because the because the visiting team side was clearly emptier than the home team side. And so I, I get letters about this. Why doesn't someone talk to them about showing the home team side as opposed to? Video? I gather on TV it didn't look good. To me, it looked like it was half full. It looked like the stadium's too big. And but thirty five thousand people. I don't know. Like it's this yeah. is in Alabama. You know, you're not supposed right. to draw sixty five. Like I don't. I I think thirty five thousand people, a little overclassed, whatever. It's I think it's fine. You know. Um, hopefully you get 42,000 for Cincinnati, which is sort of a bigger game or whatever. But that's – they should be averaging somewhere around uh, – uh, should be. If they can hit 40,000, that's a good number for the year. And so well, if you, big you, games, you get bigger. Mm-hmm. And small games, you get, you get smaller. And I think 35 is okay. Well, to your point, I think that you, you see the games in Houston and Cincinnati, two programs that are doing well. They're 40 – what, 38, 40,000-seat stadiums and. So they're getting thirty five or so, and it looks a lot. And it looks bigger. better. It looks yeah. different. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just I I heard some ah oh, fans terrible thirty five thousand people. That's not bad. Well, it is interesting. The forty thousand like it seems like if you if you had thirty nine thousand nine hundred ninety eight people would be like eh, I don't know, and then you hit the forty thousand mark, right, and it's mark it's kind of like that magic thing. But I, I, think I just think I think they're still like trying to you know push themselves to a better conference and in their mindset they want they want to have huge crowds to show the nation yeah i think that's part of it too i think the fans that are complaining about that just want to see this consistent crowd of forty five thousand, and you know kind of be the you know the next louisville or or something like that yeah well i agree with you jeff that the goal i mean if you're averaging forty thousand, that's that's great so this might might be a little bit down but when you have temple in on a thursday night on espn like a whiteout game or when you have houston come in the last game of the season you know, you're probably going to well exceed 40,000 at all, kind of even out. So it'll be interesting to see crowd-wise uh, Bowling Green, what what that game draws. They're doing a big 901 um, promotion. I think you can buy single-game tickets for $9.01. Interesting if that crowd can uh, outdo Kansas, and interesting to see how the team will do. So we will be there. We will be back uh, next week. Break it all down for you. Thanks again for uh, for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. on Facebook and follow on Twitter at Memphis News. This is the Commercial Appeal.